Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this, this word today. And uh, Lord, we certainly understand that uh, in the bluntness of uh, your word and Paul's teaching here, I pray, God, that we would lean in to uh, really the message of what you are bringing forward. I pray that your spirit would guide and lead us to see uh, you more clearly and that we would learn to look, live, and love more like you in the midst of political tension and struggles and also authority that, that does good. So guide and lead us today in this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you've ever spent any time uh, researching laws and uh, looking into government and such things, you've probably heard that uh, there are some pretty silly laws that exist, especially at the state level. For example, did you know that uh, it is prohibited, strictly prohibited, according to the state code in the state of Arkansas to mispronounce the name Arkansas? According to their strict code, um, the proper pronunciation is in three syllables with the final S being silent. It is not Arkansas's. Even though it looks like that, it is Arkansas. And the A in each syllable with an Italian sound, the accent on the first and last syllables. And you might be saying, all right, silly law, but it's Arkansas. Of course, it makes sense. All right, well, take off your judgmental glasses here because in the state of Illinois, in fact, in Galesburg, Illinois, anybody ever been to Galesburg, Illinois? Oh, a handful of you. This is fantastic. I don't know if you know this, uh, but in Galesburg, there is city law that strictly prohibits fancy riding. Do you know what that is? No. All right. Strictly prohibited. Well, fancy riding is um, any fancy riding on a bicycle on city streets, particularly riding with both hands removed from the handlebars or both feet removed from the pedals or any acrobatic shenanigans on your fancy bicycle. And according to a Galesburg police officer, says this, I suspect that the trick riding, fancy riding ordinance came during a time of concern about bicyclist safety and perhaps crashes involving cyclists. It is a seldomly enforced rule. And when you hear these kinds of rules and things that exist inside of our government, there are some pretty funny or silly things that, that have been put into law that have been put into place by our governments. And I'd be willing to assume that each of the laws that have been put into place have some kind of justification as to why they were put into place. Maybe Arkansas people were tired of correcting people on how to say the state's name or accidents that were happening with fancy riding. But 
sometimes, sometimes inside of law and government, there are laws that are put in the place that have horrific consequences on societies and people, and they should be fought against. For example, uh, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, uh, I got to go to Germany and uh, visited the National Socialist Socialism Documentation Center in Cologne, Germany. Uh, And inside of this museum uh, was the actual place where Gestapo's German leaders during World War II would do these horrific actions to people who were speaking against the Nazi party during this time. But what was fascinating about this museum in place, before we got to the cells and the horrific stories that were shared of the awful things that were happening inside of this museum, they took you into these rooms that were filled, like this one, with propaganda, with literature, with all kinds of rhetoric that was put out by Nazi Germany, a political party seeking to justify the horrific crimes that would happen to build this pure nation. That there were many people who had to turn an eye away from the horrific things that were happening during that time, especially to groups of people. And today, our question in our one nation under God is this, that in the midst of silly laws, in the midst of horrific laws that are put into place by our government, what does it mean to be an obedient citizen? How in the world do I live as an obedient citizen in the midst of government that has silly and horrific laws? Like I said, we're in the middle of this series called One Nation Under God, question mark, and we're looking at many different angles of what does it look like for us to live as Christians, followers of Jesus, in a political American society and world. And so far, we've talked about from week one, you can listen on the podcast if you haven't been here, but week one, we looked at the words of Jesus where he tells us to be peacemakers, that you're called to be salt and light to this world. That is your calling. And then last week we talked about this idea or concept of the two kingdoms that are in play that God has promised to work in his church and in government and that that we need to know the roles of each of these two and how they work together. And today we're going to talk about this heavy word called obedience. And what does it mean to be obedient to a governing authority? First off, it's important to note that obedience is a mark of the Christian life. It is something that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be. That if you proclaim to follow Jesus, there will be times in your life where you will have to do something that maybe you don't like to do. That's what it means to be obedient to something. Compliance with a law or order that has been put into place. I'm going to talk more about that later. But, but I want to begin with this point that obedience can be a good thing. 
it can be a good thing. And Paul here in Romans chapter 13 begins talking about that. He talks about our, our, our responsibility and role in the midst of governing authorities that were called to be obedient. And I'll give you three reasons why um, it's important that we obey authority in civil government. The first one comes from Romans 13 verse 1. Paul says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We read that the first thing that Paul says, the author of Romans here, he says that the first reason that we should obey is because it's right. What we believe is that God has put the authorities into place which is better than saying that God isn't involved in them. What we're willing to say is that God is involved even in governments and authorities that exist, even in the midst of when we might not know how. But he is involved in them. We understand that, that God is in control of these things, and it's why we pay taxes. It's the right thing to do. And the reason that we pay taxes is to fund, uh, that funds much of our safety, our education, and the freedoms that we have in this country. The second thing that Paul says comes from Romans 13.3. He says this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. The second reason that Paul says that we should obey authority is because it's wise. It makes sense that if you do good, ideally, you should have nothing to fear. It's the wise thing to do. Do what is wise. This is how it should be in a society and government. Now, I want to be very sensitive to this, though. I recognize that we do have some injustice that exists inside of our governments and systems. And if anything, we realize that that has been brought to the forefront in the more recent years. Because there are such things as racial profiling that happens inside of government and inside of society. I'm willing to acknowledge that we have a broken world that is run by broken people. So the theory of if you just do good, you're okay. I recognize that that can be tough to stomach at times. But what I'm saying here is this, that when we do what is right, we should be more confident. When we do what is right, we should be more confident than those who try to manipulate and cheat the system. You understand what I'm saying by that? That when we do what's right, we should be more confident than those who try to manipulate and cheat the system. And lastly, Paul says here in Romans 13, 6 through 7, he says, For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul finishes here by saying the third thing, the reason that we obey is because it is fair. It 
it is fair, it makes sense that we should fund and pay for the people who are making big decisions inside of this world. There are elected officials and appointed officials that are put in the place that make decisions for many, many, many people. And that's an incredibly difficult role and responsibility to have. It is challenging to know that you will put something in the place that might be a benefit for some over others. The reality is that we should, in our taxes, Paul says, that we should pay, that these people should be compensated. It is the right and fair thing to do. And if I could just finish there, this would be a really simple sermon. But it's not that simple. It's not that easy. It's not just a matter of right, wise, and fair. I mean, if you were listening at the beginning, you probably heard. You say, well, all right, Pastor Dave, what about, what about World War II? What about Germany? What about all those people who were just doing the right, wise, and fair thing? Were they just being obedient and doing the right thing by turning their eye from the injustice that was going on? I would argue absolutely not. It's not what it looks like for the Christian to live, especially in the midst of our government. In fact, I want to give a couple of things here to understand the broader context of what Paul, the author of Romans, is talking about here because it is something very important for us to understand. See, a simple reading of Romans would just say, well, the Bible says that we need to just obey all of this and we should just let it be that. But if you actually read and understand what Paul is saying and put his words into the context of what he is speaking to. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome. I know, mind blow. Romans is to a group of people in Rome. And Rome during the first century isn't a Christian nation. Far from that. In fact, in the first century, when the early church began, up until 325 AD, it is estimated that two million Christians were killed by the Roman government because of their faith. Paul's writing into this context, and he says the default position of the Christian should be obedience to the state. However, however, within this passage, we see multiple hints of a teaching of Jesus that point out that obedience to the government is not always primary, but what should be primary is our obedience to God first. And one spot that Paul does this in a masterful way comes in Romans 13, verse 7. We read these words. It says this, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
And what's interesting is that Paul here is quoting from something that sounds very familiar, especially to the Christians who are hearing these words. He's writing about a teaching of Jesus, using and stealing some of his wisdom to impute this into this moment. And that teaching comes from Matthew 22, verse 17 in particular. See, in the life of Jesus, he... uh, Jesus has this moment of where towards the end of his ministry, he comes into Jerusalem, the place where he will be crucified, the the pinnacle moment of his life. And when he gets to Jerusalem, his popularity is at its height. People have cheered him coming into Jerusalem. They want to hear what he has to say on all the challenging issues. And a group of religious officials and political figures come forward to Jesus and they ask him this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this question, what might seem to be so simple, is a loaded question. One that's filled with all kinds of baggage. Because just before the time of Jesus, there was this guy named Judas of Galilee. And Judas led this revolt as a Jewish person who said that absolutely no, our loyalty is to God alone. We don't pay any tax to Caesar at all. You know what happened to Judas? He got killed. And all the people that were following Judas of Galilee, not only were they killed by the Roman government, their houses were burned, and all their property was taken. And so if Jesus here just simply says, no, we don't pay taxes to Caesar, this becomes a health concern for Jesus. And it becomes an issue for all of his followers. Jesus doesn't answer with a simple no. But also, he doesn't answer with a simple yes. Because if he answers with a simple yes, then it appears that Jesus is fulfilling what Caesar wanted, which was worship. See, Caesar saw himself as divinity, as God. And what's fascinating is Jesus, as Jesus would do, has this masterful teaching in this moment to a complex question. He says this to the group. I want you to hand me a coin, a coin that would look like this, a denarius. And on the left there is a picture of Caesar that would be stamped on the currency, similar to kind of what we have today. And and just so we're aware of this currency, it's interesting to note that on the backside here, that part where the red square is, what that says is Caesar, the high priest. So we read that, that Caesar saw himself as a god. And just by simply saying that we should pay tax to him would contribute to worship of the Roman god known as Caesar. So Jesus answers this way. He says words that maybe you've heard before. He says, whose likeness and inscription is on this, holding up that coin 
And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Jesus is pointing this dynamic here. He's saying, you see this currency here. This is Caesar's, and we should give back to him what is his. But Jesus also says here, you need to understand, render or give back to God the things that are his. What he's saying is that we, as image bearers of God, have a responsibility to give our lives and our obedience back to him first. And what that means is that you should be obedient to God and honor him with your life. Your primary obedience is to God first. Yet that also comes with an obedience to authorities when it is not in contradiction to what God has called us to do. That's why it's important for us to see that there have been people before us who are faced in incredibly difficult situations. In fact, one of my favorite people to learn from is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've, anybody's heard of him before. He was a, a German Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. You can imagine, it's not an easy time to be a Lutheran pastor. And Bonhoeffer was one that in the midst of all of this propaganda and rhetoric that was being put out by the Nazi party, claiming this Christianity behind it as well, Bonhoeffer saw past that and said, this is not obedience to God. That this cannot stand. And instead of just obeying, he saw the harm that was being caused. And he stood up against that rhetoric, ultimately losing his life, being killed because of his first obedience to God. Bonhoeffer was quoted as saying these words. They're beautiful words. He says, we must finally stop appealing to theology to justify our reserved silence. Let those words sink in for a second. We must finally stop appealing to theology to justify our reserved silence about what the state is doing. For that is nothing but fear. Open your mouth for the one who is voiceless. For the For who in the church today still remembers that is the least of the Bible's demands in times such as these? Another example, Paul, the author of Romans, the one who told us that God is working in our government and in our society. It's fascinating because years after he would write that book of Romans, Paul himself was beheaded. He was killed. He was killed by the Roman emperor, Nero, at the time because of his Christian faith. See, his obedience to governing authorities did not remove his primary obedience to God. And let us never forget the story and the teaching of Jesus. 
that Jesus himself was also crucified by political figures. He was crucified on a Roman cross. That wasn't like a Christian symbol for Jesus. That was a political symbol of torture. And Jesus, by his death and resurrection, brings in a new kingdom and calls us to follow him, even when that comes in conflict with our authorities and figures. But it's important to understand that Jesus' death and resurrection brings in a kingdom not won by conventional means of power or force. This is important. I'm not talking about like we're going to establish just a Christian nation and our own Christian army. No, the teaching of Jesus says that his kingdom is not won by conventional means of power or force, but instead by the love of God, which is not defeated by death, and it leads to a resurrection. It leads to a hope and a promise for all. So what that means, what in the world does that mean for us today? Does that mean I just like don't listen to government at all or, or what? what? What in the world? How do, I, how do I deal with this balance? Well, let me offer a couple of just tangible things for you as you think through the complexity of the political climate that exists in our world today. And let me be fair to say that I am fully aware that this is muddy and messy. But I want to offer these as starting points. Number one, simply this. Are you praying for our leaders? Whatever that is. The authority figures that have been put into place. And Jesus would tell us this. It's easy to love those who love you back. It's, it's easy to vote for those who are going to do everything that you want. But I tell you, Jesus says, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Are you beginning by simply just praying for the leadership that exists inside of our world? The second thing, do you obey when no one is looking? Do you manipulate and cheat the system? Or do you obey the system even in the midst of when you can kind of put it in your favor when it is against the law? Because as a Christian, that's who we should be, is we should be people who are marked as obedient. But that's because of our primary obedience to God. And lastly, after those two things, do you call to account when people stray from God's will? Are you willing to speak up call to account when people stray from God's will. Begin with the first two, and then are we willing to stand up on the third? I recognize that this is challenging and difficult to do, and you're probably running through many scenarios in your own life right now. Let me finish with just the final metaphor here. I find it fascinating inside of our culture 
that we are like in this understanding of that all we desire and cheer for as Americans is freedom. That is like our thing, right? And if you've ever been to like a big football game or where they sing the national anthem, you know, the Star Spangled Banner has that point where it says, or the land of the... Yeah, I'm not going to hit that note, all right? I need you guys here, right? For the land of the free, right? And then the crowd goes wild and everybody's like, yeah, freedom, right? I mean, we live in a society and world that just like elevates this thought of like freedom at any cost or, or I should have freedom to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't harm somebody else. That's the freedom that we talk about inside of our society and culture. I want freedom to do whatever I want to do as long as it doesn't harm somebody else. But, but that's not true. It breaks down. Honestly, I think it's why we struggle with the idea of what freedom really looks like. And why we as a nation can proclaim freedom when we have been very oppressive to many people. So, so let me express a different idea of how we should look at freedom. Use a metaphor here. Imagine there's a, a, a grandfather. And um, grandpa loves to eat. All right? He's got a good wife. She's cooked many good meals for him. And grandpa... As time goes on, metabolism kind of slows down. He's got a little extra weight on him, right? And Grandpa, because he's a grandpa, also has some grandkids that he loves very dearly. And he loves to eat. His wife's cooking. And he also loves to be with his grandkids. But as he gets older, he realizes, in fact, his doctor, doctor explains to him that that either he has to change his diet or his days with his grandkids are numbered. And in that moment, that grandfather would have to accept the limits on his eating or the limits on his health. It's impossible that he will have freedom to do both anymore. There's limitations to those two things. He doesn't have the freedom to do whatever he wants. So the question that comes to that grandfather is simply this. Which freedom is more important? Which freedom is more truly liberating? Is it the fact that I'm going to enjoy every little thing that my wife cooks for me? Or is it the fact that I want to be there with my children, my grandchildren, as they grow older? The reality is inside of our society and inside of our culture, we have all kinds of freedoms that exist. And some are opposed to one another. My challenge to us as a church is that we have to ask the question, which of these freedoms is the most truly liberating? And I'd be willing to argue that 
that the freedom that comes by the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most freeing liberation that is given to this world. It is the best news that is given. And as a result of that, if you believe those words, then what that means is that you have a duty and an allegiance and obedience to God Almighty and the freedom that he brings into this world. And it is incredibly messy. It is not always going to be to your benefit. And it requires you to stand up for not only those who look like you, but those who don't look like you. It requires you to love those who are unlovable. It requires to offer grace and forgiveness in the midst of challenging moments and to give a voice to the voiceless. It requires a compassion and love like God first shows us. But that comes with a freedom that is greater than our own death because that comes with the resurrection of God. May we pray for our leaders. May we Thank God for them. Obey when no one is looking. And may we remember to be obedient to God first in word and in deed above all else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks into the challenging things of this world And Lord, I ask uh, that as we wrestle, as we continue to wrestle with your word and what that means, I pray uh, that as a community of people, we would be so bold to point people to look, live, and love more like you. I understand that that looks different in many different circumstances and in many different ways. But God, may we have the courage to speak up May we have the courage to be obedient, not get lost in the silly arguments or try to create division where Satan is working. But God, may we wisely and with with utter courage speak up and render the things that belong to the government, those things, but never forgetting to render our lives and our obedience first back to you. We do that because of the example that you are for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.